Hello everyone, Madeline Dell here with the Chapter Goddess and I have a very exciting guest for you guys today. She's not an author, but she works with authors in a fascinating perspective. I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does. Thanks so much, Madeline. Uh, my name is Alyssa Hecker, and I'm an entertainment and arts attorney, uh, and I work with authors and illustrators. So I love to talk to them about negotiating uh, their rights, the intellectual property, collaborations, because very often authors will be working together or working with illustrators, and that's that's always that can be uh, the beginning of a wonderful relationship or a terrible relationship, depending on how it's laid out. Um, and I love working with creatives. Awesome. So, okay. There's so many questions. I've got to decide which one I want to start with first. So as an attorney, what is the biggest thing authors come to you about? Do you have one that stands out the most? That's a very good question. I would say it depends. I'll say as a lawyer, um, very often authors will come to me after they've already signed at least one, if not more than one publishing agreement that didn't go so well and they have kind of buyer's remorse. Mm -hmm. And it's the question of what could I have done? Very often I'll have authors come to me um, where they say, this is what I want, but I what I find is a lot of times people negotiate with themselves because what you have has great value, but very often when you're not in a very strong negotiating position, you go and saying, well, I'll take less just because I want this agreement. Um, and this job and this gig as a gig worker, which is very often what authors are, um, it's tough. It's tough to say no. And we walk through, what is it that you really do want? What is it that you have? Are you a first-time author? Do you have a following? What's your negotiating power? Um, and what don't you want to do? Because very often also what happens is the publishers will ask for the moon. Um, merchandising rights, um, movie rights, everything else. And what I often counsel my clients to say, you're going for a publishing agreement. Let's work on North American English rights. That's it. And then see how the relationship is and see how successful it is. And then you want to reserve your rights for other things. So different people come in with different, um, different questions. And also, are you a children's author? Are you an adult author? Are you a self-help self -help author? Are you self-publishing? Do you have, you know, there are a lot of different things that come in. So long that answer is, to a short question. Yeah, that is actually really interesting. Yeah. How does the, the way they're published, like how, do, how does that affect how you go about looking at their contract? Uh, what do you mean by the way they're published? Um, I guess for uh, like maybe hybrid versus like traditional, how does, how do you go about making, like getting their rights back for manuscripts? How does that change the process? Yeah, that's that's a very good question too, because a lot of people are either self-publishing or hybrid publishing, um, which is when you're dealing with a traditional publisher, there are agreements that they've used forever. Um, and there are, there's obviously there's always wiggle room with things on those, but they say, this is how we've done it. And we promote your book and we put all of this in. So you basically get your, your upfront payments and then, you know, it all goes out. With a hybrid, it's a little bit different because very often the author's actually putting money into it. So you don't necessarily have an advance. And then there are other conversations later on about royalties um, or how much do you get when. So it really, again, depends on what the author wants. And if the author's working um, with an editor or a co-author, what's the agreement between or among the parties if it's not just an author and then a publisher, which is sort of a hybrid. But sometimes 
even with the self-publishing models or the hybrid models, um, the author sometimes really does have to push to get certain things, and it's it's usually worth it. Uh, it's I always say you you ask for more than what you think you're going to get, um, and just be aware of what you're willing to accept and be happy you know be happy with. Hmm. Very fascinating. So, and then this is another question on to like when a company reaches out and wants to make a contract with an author regarding like movie rights, they want to take the book and put it into the movie. What are some of the things that you would recommend authors really pay attention to in those contracts? Excellent question. Um, very often, some of these will also depend on whether the author has an agent, because usually the agent who walks it into the publishing company, you're definitely with a much more established publishing company, and there's a little bit more, perhaps, negotiating power in that. Um, but I would always, always say, uh, don't give away those rights initially and see how the book is done um, you know, in a year, in two years. And then if the publisher wants to come back, perhaps the publisher can have right of first request mm -hmm. or what's called right of first refusal, which are two different things. Um, the right of first request is, is basically an option to say, we'd like to be able to do this. And then does the author have the option to go elsewhere too, or do you have to agree with the publisher? Mm -hmm. um, so it depends because you could have, say, a children's book, which really takes off, and then the publisher wants to then kind of act as agent and contract with a production company. And then the author doesn't necessarily have the right to negotiate with the publishing company. And that's that's you know a big deal. And, and I talked to an author recently who came to me who had signed a deal and all of her merchandising is happening now with stuffed animals and things like that based on a character that she created. But because of the agreement that she signed, she gets nothing. She has oh. no creative control no royalties based on the merchandise because she signed the rights away for the initial advance and in amount with the publishing company. And that was it. And she's like, well, what do I do? And you can't get those rights back yeah, necessarily unless the publisher breaches the agreement. So my advice always is don't give away the store until you know how the book is going to do and you know how the relationship is going to work with the publisher. Um, I, sometimes you don't have the ability to really negotiate and say, take it all out. But we usually say, if you want to publish the book, you can publish the book. You can have certain language rights. You can have certain geographic rights. But everything else is separate because then the author retains the right to then negotiate, say, I would like to go with this production company. Or I want creative control over how my character is represented elsewhere. I think if I was that author, I would sit down and cry. <laughs> I'm not gonna well, lie. Listen, this is a lot of lesson learned. Like a lot of people go in, you go in, you sign your first agreement. You don't know. A lot of this is not taught. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be talking to you about this. Yeah. Because you don't know what you don't know. Um, and you don't know that you have the right to say no for these things or what they even mean often. Yeah. It's a, a boundary a lot of us don't know how to set with right. these things. And, and you're so I, focused on getting your story out and, yeah. and doing what you do best, which is writing, um, that the other stuff is hard. You know, it's, I don't mean it's hard. It's just, it's not necessarily in the wheelhouse of getting your manuscript. Yeah. And so, it's a lot. It'll, if it was me in that situation, my brain would just like explode trying to go over <laughs> all of it. It's the, like buyer's like, remorse. Yep. Yeah. And I would, I literally would cry and just be like, okay, I'm not ever, and I would probably never publish with that company again, honestly, because. Or, how it, or, or, as now she's going in and asking the right questions. 
Oh, and if she true. already has a relationship with that publishing company and it's been successful, the next time around, perhaps there's a new book that wasn't covered under, like perhaps it's on a series or as part of the rights that she already gave away. She goes back in with a little bit more power going, you know, last time we had a very successful relationship and you were able to go out and merchandise. Let's talk about that now going forward. What do I get? That's so a good instead idea. of running away, you could use it to your advantage and say, you know, let's come back to the table. Yeah, that's a that's actually a great perspective. I wouldn't have thought about doing that. And she can, and you, even if it's part of a series, she could negotiate like the merchandise in with that. Right? Again, it depends on what she's given away in the original agreement. Um, but if she's writing a new book that may not be part of that one, with maybe new characters, she can say, "Now we, we've established our relationship. Now here's what I want going forward." And that could be certain types of creative control. This person, for example, was an illustrator. So she wants to be involved in the creation of what these, whatever, whatever's manufactured, uh, whether it's on a hat or whether it's a stuffed animal. And then I would encourage her to get royalties based on yeah. sales. You get X number of sales, you get X percent. You get this, you get that, that kind of thing. Man, and the royalty stuff, that, that is a headache for me in general, just trying to figure out, because I self-publish, yeah. I have one that is traditionally published as a short story. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had to mess with too much of those, mm -hmm. but in, you mentioned collaborations earlier, how would you recommend going about setting up royalties for a collaboration work? Another good question. Um, it, it depends on the type, are you talking about two authors or an author illustrator or? More, probably, and that could okay. include author, illustrator, two or three authors, because I've seen a bunch of, I have a bunch of author friends that have been doing anthologies, and like mm -hmm. more and more people are starting mm -hmm. to do those in my little author friend group, but I'm like, okay, like, how does that work? Because you want to make them work right, because you don't want another author to feel cheated or right. like anything from um, their work, so and that's just a curious question, because Mm -hmm. As in your position, you could you probably deal with like issues that arise from people not getting their share or a proper share of the work. Yeah, and I think this is almost a two point two part question because we started to talk about royalties and then yeah. we talked about how to split. Uh, royalties usually only come in to play after an advance has been recouped and certain number like escalation clauses, certain number of books are sold and things like that and eBooks or whatever whatever you're doing, um, and audiobooks rather. Um, but initially, if you have a collaboration, there may be two ways to go about it. Usually I would recommend having an agreement among the collaborators, among the authors, oh, almost like when you have a musical group, you know, who is getting what percentage? Um, because also when the copyright reverts back, it reverts back to the author. So you wanna make sure you all understand who owns what, especially if it's even. Um, so I would say have an agreement among the collaborators as to how to move forward. And then sometimes each author has his, her, or their own agreement with the publishing company, or the publishing company has one agreement with all the authors together with the understanding of what's happening. It really depends on how, how the authors want to go about doing it, how the collaborators work on it. Interesting. Sorry, they're mowing outside. So if you can see me mute on occasion, I'm like, oh gosh, they're right by the window. I didn't know they were coming to mow today. Always so, happens. Always happens. Yes. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, is that my Okay, that is. I didn't know they were coming. So I thought about this that this morning since yesterday was Labor Day and it was a holiday. And it's just like, oh, yep. Ooh. But that is actually some really fascinating stuff. Like 
getting into all the royalties and thing and give me a second to reference yeah. myself. Oh, and also for royalties, if sometimes the royalty thing happens and it can be complicated. So what mm -hmm. I was always, I'd always counsel my clients to do is have an audit clause in the publishing agreement to say that you can go in once a year to check the books and records and make sure that what's being paid out is being paid out correctly. Um, or if it's not, there needs to be, you know, a, a fee put on it, an interest rate put on it so that it is paid correctly um, within a certain amount of time. It is at the author's cost, um, but at the place of business of the publisher, and they have to let you in with reasonable notice. So that's that's something pretty standard. And if it's, again, if it's a bunch of collaborators and it's something where you're not quite sure there are going to be a lot of royalties, I would negotiate for a much higher advance. So you just get more money up front, and while you're writing, you live off it, which which makes for sometimes it's easier to have it in your pocket first. Sometimes people don't mind waiting if they think that there's more of a chance for more later. Sometimes if you're in a really good negotiating position, you're able to do both the higher advance and and talk about the royalties. Nice. So with negotiating, how is do you have you ever like? almost kind of worked with somebody or taught somebody how to negotiate better. And I asked that because I'm probably a terrible negotiator when it comes to contracts because I don't know what the yep. heck's going on, which is probably another reason why I ended up going more self-published, mm -hmm. not having to do that. But there are so many of us authors out there, so many creatives, and everybody has or has like will see some type of contract about their work in the future. What type of negotiation techniques would you recommend for anyone starting out with that that's new to contracts? Yeah, no, actually, I do that a lot with my clients across the board, business clients, entertainment clients, artist clients, because um, it's very important for you to know, again, going in, what do you want? Because very often people are presented with a contract and they don't actually think about what they want. They think about what's in the contract. Um, what don't you want? Because sometimes things will be asked of you that actually doesn't make sense for your time or effort, and it's just not enough you know, money or whatever it is going into it, that it's not the opportunity you necessarily think it should be. Uh, and then basically just to put that down on paper and then look at the contract uh, and figure out what's, what, you know, what's in there. Um, I definitely think consulting with an attorney is helpful because there are things that we will look at, look at and look for that was, to talk to a bunch of authors that was terribly grammatically stated. So I'm sorry, for what to look? <laughs> no worries. That peeve of mine and I can't even speak it properly right now. Um, <laughs> but I would definitely say, know what you want, know what you don't want, review the contract. I would definitely say, look with an author because there are things like, you know, like we we're talking about the advance, the royalty, the intellectual property, how long is it, which is the term, termination? Uh, what are the rights you're giving? Is there an audit clause? Is there Something, what's the forum? Uh, for example, if you have to sue based on the default, do you have to sue based on, if it's a, an, estab an establishment publisher, that will never change. But if it's a hybrid, you may have an opportunity to change the forum. So if the publishing company is located in California, but you're located in New York, you don't have to go to California to sue or to bring something in um, you know, to try to figure out if there's a default. Um, so, and then also, like I said early when we first started, um, not to negotiate with yourself, to go in with confidence. What you have is good. The publisher wants to publish you and to have a really frank discussion. Um, sometimes you'll be dealing, 
with the publisher itself, sometimes with a lawyer, again, it's good to have a lawyer because the lawyers will talk to the lawyers. If each party is represented by a lawyer, usually the lawyers will work together rather than talking directly to the um, negotiating client. Um, or you could do sometimes what I do, depending on how my clients may or may not have the budget for a lawyer for full things, I will walk through my client and the negotiating points and really figure out what the client likes. We'll practice, we'll counsel, and the client will do the negotiation directly with the publisher. Um, or I'll do all the redlining and I'll go in and do the negotiations and say, hey, this is what we do, and then go back and forth with the client. So there, you, there are different ways to do it. Do you find that one method is more successful than the other when you do that? Um, not really. Again, it depends on the negotiating power going in. Are you a first-time author? Have you done this a while? Uh, the more established publishing companies, I think, not that they take it more seriously, but I think it's more efficient if you use a lawyer because you're usually working with a legal department. They redline, you redline back and forth, and it's quicker because we know we know the code, like we know how to read everything that's, that's yeah. going back and forth and what is standard and what is not. Uh, working with a self-publisher or a hybrid publisher is a little bit different. Um, but what I try to do with my clients is work on raising confidence levels going in um, and just being firm in certain things. And also I talk about what's good with wiggle room, like things that you want to ask for, but could, they could also be gives. If you really, if they really don't matter in the long run, that's something that you could give in order to get something that you want. And we try to figure out what is most important for the author. Sweet. So I'm <laughs> going to switch gears here a minute and let's talk about nonfiction writing. I, mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of experience with that, but I've read with nonfiction novels or anything nonfiction work that normally they have to have a an attorney look over the work. Correct? Publication review. Yes. Okay. I do so, that a lot because you're worried about defamation. You're worried about, um, but there are all different types of torts and different kinds of laws that you could worry about with people potentially suing you. Okay. So you want to make sure that you get a pre-publication review. Sometimes a publishing company attorney will do that. I would say don't rely on that and have your own because what's going to happen in a, in a publishing agreement is the author is going to have to represent and warrant that everything is, is basically right and copacetic and that they're not infringing on copyrights and you're not infringing on any of these like defamatory things or false light or there are different laws in different states and so you kind of have to do that. And then you have to um, agree to indemnify the publisher that if the publisher sued, you will pay for the lawsuit. So these are important things why it's, it's good to have someone, especially in nonfiction or in things like memoirs, oh, um, which is good because there's kind of a blurring of the line in that. And there are many potential defenses to these things and ways to, to ameliorate them. But yes, there's definitely good to have a pre-publication review. I did not know that about memoirs. I read something about that on a nonfiction, oh, was it a blog? I can't remember mm -hmm. where I read that. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because mm -hmm. I've considered writing like a piece of nonfiction, but it's like a series of like letters mm -hmm. to yourself kind of thing. So I don't mm -hmm. know if that would be, that would be like more self-help kind of, mm -hmm. I think. But I was curious about that because I have a few nonfiction authors that I've interviewed in the past and the topic mm -hmm. has never came up. But yeah. what would the process be like if a nonfiction author came to you to have them to go over their manuscript with them? How would that work out? 
like um, the relationship and everything you have to do. Yeah, uh, well, basically, I'd have to read the manuscript and then I flag things that I think may be problematic. Uh, there, I've had many different, yeah, many different examples of this or or ways to either I'd say like cut this or ways to move around certain things. With memoirs, it may be a little bit easier because when you state opinion, usually it's a little bit different. If you're stating things kind of as fact and it could harm someone's reputation or it depends on if the person is a public figure or a private figure, would it be readily note, like identifiable? Is this, you know, things like that. Um, this is the same thing, by the way, if you have any authors who, who write, who are playwrights or screenwriters who are dealing with people who are alive and mm -hmm. potentially people who are dead, who have estates, depending on, again, the state, this is all kind of, so I'd review the manuscript and then walk through certain things and then put together a written analysis with all the different potential issues and the laws under which they fall. And I do kind of a risk reward ratio uh, of the analysis of the whole book. Wow. That is yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I love to read and I yes. love doing what I do in the law. So it's a perfect combination. That's crazy. Yeah. So on average, how many books do you think outside of like work related stuff, do you get to read much outside of that? Oh yeah. Reading is a big passion of mine for sure. So I try to have, as gross as it'll sound, I try to have at least a book or a magazine in every bathroom where I will go at any time during the day. Um, and I try to be in probably about two books at a time. Yeah. One I usually like to have is good fiction. Uh, and one is a really good nonfiction. Um, I really don't prefer one or the other. And then I usually have like the New York Times Magazine or the book review floating around somewhere. Nice. Um, so outside of all of the attorney stuff and working with editors and whatnot, what do you do as a hobby or to something? What's something you do for self-care? Um, well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I'm always surrounded by windows in nature. I have what you may hear right now with the huffing is actually not me being super excited, but my dog who Aww. usually comes in the everywhere. Uh, and anytime I start the day every morning with like a four mile hike or, or walk or something, I did it this morning, it was pouring rain. And the sounds were amazing and the smells were amazing. And I'm, I'm lucky to be in an area where there's a lot of woods and, and water oh. and stuff. So I have to be in nature. That's a big hobby of mine. Anything outdoors, um, it just kind of jumpstarts my, my brain and I do my best thinking then. Um, I love to read. I love music. I love to knit. I love to spend time with friends. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty much game for almost anything. Nice. I'm a bit jealous about how you're in nature like that because I grew <laughs> up surrounded by the woods and now I'm like in a little suburb and it's like the park is the closest yep. thing I can get to it, but it's not the same because you're not yeah, well, isolated. Yeah, but you, know, you could walk around the park. <laughs> yeah, but it's like being in the deep woods, you hear all the birds, you don't yes. hear traffic noises. When it's raining, you can hear all the drops hitting all the leaves and there's just nothing to replace that. I was thinking about that. I that looks like fun in the background. <laughs> the, how the rain? Hit. No, no, no. It's 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 amazing. Um, but how the rain hits the you 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 hear the rain before you feel it. That's yes, it's yes. yeah. And then the smells that does that just it just that it just thinking about that <laughs> makes it puts me in the woods in the middle of rain. So it yeah. it's, it makes me happy. Those are, that's my happy place too. So I had to ask because I I love asking any creative about their self care routines and things that keep them. Mm -hmm mentally on track because a lot of times mm -hmm. people go to creative outlets yep. for self-care. So you mean business. Yes. Oh Lord. So you mentioned you have kids. 
I do. How do you find, how's the work balance go for you with having kids and then working on manuscripts and other things related to law work? Did I say that right, um, law work? <laughs> no, just legal work. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, my kids are actually older. I have an 18 year old and a 16 year old, um, but I hung out my shingle and went out on my own when my oldest was born. Uh, I left the company where I was working and she came with me to all my initial client meetings until she could climb out of the stroller. And then I kind of just tried to work around her. And then my second one was born and um, they always knew that they were my most important clients in terms of my time. But as they got older, and then of course, when they went to school, that became six hours or eight hours of time where I really had time. So when they're little, I didn't have as much time, but I always tried to carve out me time mm -hmm. for my work and my things for you, you know mental wellness like you were talking yes. about it's important to have um you know mommy's working so yes. you know that kind of thing and then as they got older it was it was easier because mm -hmm. then, then they're much more independent I love that because yeah. there's not a lot of moms that are able to manage that and I struggled it's, on my own on that as well so. yeah and it's really hard when they're small and they really want your attention and you're very torn Yes. Uh, between it, it's it's much harder and you're much more tired. Um, and I saw that definitely in the pandemic, it was really tough on moms. So. Yes, yes, it was. I was working part-time outside of the home and it was like, yeah, mm -hmm. can't, can't do this. The daycare shut down. Yep. Like, yep. Oh. And you're like, that's, yeah. Like we're here, we're gonna just make <laughs> it work. But she's in part-time pre-K now. So it's oh, kinda, that's it's good. So that gives you a couple of hours, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna knock this stuff out. <laughs> And then it's like a you blink and time's up. I'm like, okay, I gotta go get it now. It's I true, but I do have to say too, time flies. I have one in college now, and it's like I can't believe that it's it's so quick. I believe it because I feel like time just has sped up since I had yeah. him. I'm like, where is it going? Stop! Yeah. He's getting yeah. too big. This don't want it yet. So back to the book stuff. If ha, have you had many clients come to you? regarding their book being picked for a movie yeah how does that like what is that process like i've had a few people mention to you anytime somebody comes to you with contract to make your book into a movie make sure you have an attorney look at it before you sign anything or agree to anything well i love that advice but yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it is because well it also depends are you is the Backtrack. In terms of the rights, is the publisher doing most of the negotiation with the producer, or did the author retain the rights and is going into your you're doing the negotiation with the producer? So usually, if it's a movie or a television show, mm -hmm. there are there are different steps that have to be taken and different negotiations taken. The author doesn't often have a lot of power or involvement yeah. in a production unless this is like a James Patterson or someone. It's very rare that the author really has a high level within. And then very often like the initial production company will say something and then, then the production company sells it to a distributor or something like that where other things happen. So the author really doesn't have a lot of negotiating power in terms of what the author will be doing. Yeah. But there are things in the agreements where the author can say, I need this, I need that, and and the same kind of thing, and certain kind of credits, and certain kind of payments, and certain kind of creative involvement. Maybe if you don't have the right to determine how a character is, is presented, that perhaps the author will be involved in the conversation, even if the author doesn't have final say. Like, there are definitely ways to 
to go into the negotiation. Does it make a difference if they're a self-published author that gets, I don't know how often that happens when it's a self-pub author. Um, does that make a difference when they reach out to want their book turned into movies? Usually, if you're approached by a production company, it's one thing. Usually, if you want to have your movie made into, uh, if your book into a movie, you have to go through an agent who then shops it around. And then the agent can also help with the negotiations and, and find perhaps the right publisher as a good match. It's, it's hard is it, it's hard to get because a lot of places, a lot of uh, production companies don't take unsolicited manuscripts just like publishers won't take them um, because they're just too many. And if they happen to make a movie based on something and somebody had sent in a book and they're like, hey, that's my idea, that's my copyright and that's how I presented it, then they could end up getting sued. So they try not to, to do unsolicited ones. Ooh, that's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever been on the, I guess, the other side of that where you are working with a client that's suing over a book? I have not, but I have, I have represented producers mm -hmm. um, when negotiating with authors. So, and it depends, you know, again, what the parties want. I'm a transactional lawyer. I'm not a litigator. So okay. if there's a litigation issue, I refer to trusted colleagues to take over those things. Nice. Yeah. That was really <laughs> cool. Have you ever come across an aspiring author or maybe had an aspiring author come to you with questions about submitting a manuscript to a trend traditional publisher? Yes. And I usually tell them that they need to have an agent. <laughs> the traditional publishers won't, won't take unsolicited manuscripts for the most part. Um, I also say a tremendous resource is the Authors Guild. Mm -hmm. um, I worked there in law school. I have great relationships with the executive director and general counsel and a lot of the folks who work there. And they are, I say, that organization is one of the best mm -hmm. for authors in terms of templates, negotiation um, kind of points that they can also help sometimes. Uh, with authors negotiate if authors can't hire attorneys. They have attorneys on staff. They also have volunteer attorneys, and it's a phenomenal resource. They also lobby. They were involved in a lot of major lawsuits uh, for authors' rights, and it's, it's a really great group. That makes me yeah. curious if they're involved in the one that's going on with Red Penguin House right now. I'm not sure. I know they were big in the Google scan and the library, the whole mm -hmm. Google Doc thing where they were scanning books from all around the world. They were a major player in that one. I'm not sure if they're involved, but they do do a lot of what's called amicus briefs, um, which is they're called friends of the court briefs. So if there's a lawsuit that happens, the Authors Guild will often file a brief in support of one of the positions, obviously the author's positions, um, if it seems to be a major case. That's cool. Sorry, I know that was kind of like random thought. But no, no, that's maybe, okay. Yeah, I was on a panel that discussed it on Sunday, just like the effects it's going to have mm -hmm. on the indie writing community and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's just yeah. fascinating kind of question. So, yeah. um, I think that is all the questions I have for you. Is there anything you would like to share for aspiring creatives in general? Keep doing what you're doing <laughs> because you're making the world a more interesting place. Um, and actually, Madeline, I had a question for you. What? Tell me about your writing a little bit. What are you? What are you writing? So I write kind of mixed genre stuff. I have mm -hmm. fantasy, paranormal, and romance books. Kind of like mm -hmm. it's all meshed together. It's mm -hmm. hard to pinpoint it down for one genre. Um, I've got two book series out. 
that kind of they're focused more on shifters and the mm -hmm. romance side of things but I can't help but tie in some type of adventure um both series kind of have a coming of age theme for the mm -hmm. main character um they're both strong female characters the mm -hmm. one the black flames which is the book I dropped in January this year it's the first in the Ember trilogy um this character she finds herself in a strange position. Her parents tied her to a specific member of the pack at birth because a certain amount of power was sensed in her. Mm -hmm. So they tied her to the alpha sun and she's put in this life where she's been training and training and training to be the Luna of the pack. But it turns out she's not a wolf. She's a hellhound. And she's That's actually, <laughs> yes, throws yeah. it for a loop, but yep. she kind of goes on a huge self-discovery thing and sacrifices herself for her pack to keep them safe oh. only to be like kidnapped taken to hell and find out she's the heir to the throne of Lucifer. As I say the queen of the underworld <laughs> but, um wow. and but it's she her main place in all of this is to balance things in hell because hell's really really out of balance mm -hmm. um a lot of the major fallen angels that are in Lucifer's little pack, like mm -hmm. uh, greed and lust and everybody, they're kind of at war with them, with mm -hmm. each other. And greed has this hidden agenda that she discovers by accident mm -hmm. because one of his sons kidnaps her um, and she gets intel into all of this. Mm -hmm. And then she's like trying to keep the fact that she's actually discovered she's Lucifer's daughter hidden. And she escapes and rescues a whole group of shifters that had also been kidnapped and were oh. being used against their will at, for breeding purposes mm -hmm. to create an army of hellhounds for greed to use against Lucifer. Wow. Sorry, I feel like I'm just like gushing about the yeah, no, yeah. and Wait, does Lucifer know that she's his daughter? He doesn't yet because every heir that he's had thus far has been taken and killed. Um by some unknown force but mm -hmm. this force has actually been somebody working for greed because greed wants to take over and overthrow lucifer yeah. but the fallen can only be killed by another fallen mm -hmm. so here comes wow. ember and all of this and she's got more to play in this than she realizes but they're trying to keep her hidden because she just wants to go back to her normal life right. on earth but which of course you can <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she it's also kind of a reverse harem so she's discovered two of her mates but the third one who works for lucifer finds her at the end but he tries to ignore the fact that he's her mate and he she can't ignore because it's yeah it's meant to him. he sees her true nature and he has to report back wow. to lucifer who she is so and that did you have all up. these note cards organized with with strings attached to your <laughs> it sounds like it, it's still chaos i originally made like this big like poster mm -hmm. for the book of just pictures and i've just been constantly like writing things down and random that's amazing yeah and i've got book two which is called blue flames mostly written mm -hmm. which is kind of like where she, where she has to go and mm -hmm. she meets lucifer and has to come to terms with her third come mate. To daddy to come, <laughs> yeah, and he has to come to terms with the fact that he's got a mate after all of these years because he's yeah. been around since like the beginning of the time because he's Cerebrus. I hope I said that right. He's, that's his uncle. And mm -hmm. it's just like, he's got 
that bloodline and he's a hellhound and he's a general and it's just all this stuff and he's here comes Amber. Yes. <laughs> he's got a lot on his plate. He's leading the like fiercest group of hellhounds in hell and like all of this information Ember gets to them and they have to plan mm-hmm. for that. But they've also got to introduce her into her correct position. But mm-hmm. she's like, but what about my pack? There's all of this going on because there's yeah. also another secret agenda going on by the Pax Alpha. And he's working with somebody from hell that they didn't know yeah. until the end of book one. It's just so Sounds many like a things. bureaucratic nightmare going yeah. on here now. <laughs> I mean, it is. There's some political stuff going on. And I'm just wow. like, I don't know how I kept it organized, but it is. And I'm just like, okay. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I totally got no, that No, it's so one, interesting. Like, yeah. I have so many like things, writing ideas, and I've got short stories coming out, which mm. one, I have a short story. It's a retelling of Captain Hook that I'm putting on Bella. Mm. And it's kind of turned into more than what I wanted it to be because it was just going to be like a YA story, mm-hmm. but the characters didn't want to do that. So mm-hmm. we're going where the characters want to go. And I'm just like, okay, like mm-hmm. most of this story is already done. So I'm just putting it out there and let readers see it. And it'll be in physical form sometime next year after I finish this book. For That's amazing. So, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And actually, that reminds me of one thing that I forgot to mention with like mm-hmm. fan fiction and stuff. Depending on when the copyright expires and the copyright owner, mm-hmm. the authors who write fan fiction may not necessarily be the owners of that because they may be considered derivative works yeah. um, or they may be able to be stopped by yeah. the original copyright owner. So I have a feel, I think Peter Pan uh, and Captain Hook, I feel like they're in the public domain at this point if it's before 1926. So everybody has different names and it's not yep. like actual Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Yep. It's like the Sparrow and Silver James is who I'm mm-hmm. using as the main character and it's a female. So I kind of twisted it around a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So that's so much fun. Hi. Okay. I will in a little bit. Yes, go play for a minute. I'm almost done. Okay. Okay, he's gonna sit and hang out with okay. us while we finish this. <laughs> well, this is part of the reality of a working mom. No matter it what is. you do. Very true. He's kind of crashed my interviews a couple times. Don't touch anything. Okay? I hear. Um, I'll give you a headphone. You can say hi. Ooh. We're almost done. Hold on, I gotta put it in your ear. It tickles. <laughs> he does say You can say hi. 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 Do you write also? Are you an author also? Say, I'm. We'll be in the future. He already creates you like stories. To tell stories. Right. Yes, he loves mm-hmm. it. So, and I, it makes me so excited because I'm like, Yay. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. But even I eat cookies sometimes. Eat when you're when you're telling your stories or when you're thinking your stories. Yes. I find yeah. that when I'm thinking of stories, I eat M&Ms. Ooh, M&Ms. That's, that makes me up. Don't pull on that because I don't punch my phone. Okay. Then what? And then we won't get to be, we won't be able to talk. Um, but what if you don't? You can't eat it all the time. Nope, you can't eat it. No, not all the time. Not It'll make time. you sick, right? Yeah. The special time. It'll make yeah. you sick. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have your broccoli. Yep. Yeah, actually, he likes to like broccoli, so that's a plus. That's good. I kind of like them. Okay, hey, be very quiet for a second, okay? All right, so go ahead, Alyssa, and tell 
our listeners and viewers where if they want to contact you or reach out to you with questions yes. about their books or their manuscripts okay. or if they want to hire you to help with a manuscript yeah. or anything, tell, go ahead and tell them. Sure, thank you. Uh, my website is eheckeresq.com. That's my name, E-H-E-C-K-E-R-E-S-Q.com. Uh, my number is 914-478-0457. I am located in New York, but I have clients all over the world. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody. It, you know, no question is a bad question. Sorry. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was fun to have you. This was a great time. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk in the future. Yes. Bye.